Hey, my name's Ruben, the lead pastor here at Crossroads Church. Welcome to our podcast, where you can catch up on all the messages that you might have missed, or you might want to hear again. We hope you enjoy this message. We hope it challenges you. We hope it encourages you. And we hope ultimately that it would draw you closer to Jesus. Enjoy. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. And what does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions. He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. And so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of Him who is the head, that is Christ. From Him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Jehovah Jireh, a faithful provider, we we thank you that you meet our needs. We thank you that you actually know our needs better than we do ourselves, and we thank you for providing in ways we couldn't even think or imagine to pray for. Jehovah Shalom, thank you that when we are found in you, we don't have to be tossed around back and forth by the waves of material uncertainty or human worry, that you offer us a peace we can't understand or begin to fathom. Jehovah Nisi, we thank you that we have a fourth man in the fire alongside us, that you fight the battles that we have no business being in, Lord, that when we're seemingly standing in front of a giant with nothing but a twig and a stone in our hands, that you take what we have and you make up the shortfall. We thank you for taking our broken pieces and inviting them into your plan. Jehovah Rapha, thank you for being a healer, constantly interested in restoration for your people, for your church. Lord, the imperfection and the hurt of our current reality is something that we will have to learn to understand for now, but we thank you that it isn't forever, that you're innately interested in reconciliation, healing for those found in you. Lord Jesus, King of Kings, we thank you that you live up to all of these names. And yet we can also say that you sit closer to us than a brother and you care about us at an intimate and personal level. Lord, increase our faith today. Would we have the humility required to invite you in as our provider and our peace and our healer, the fighter of our battles? Lord, would you come and speak to us today? We pray this in your mighty name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. When you take a seat, church. So good to be in the house of God, isn't it? Hey, uh, listen, it's, it's usually um, this time in my messages that I will start off and I will say something along the lines of, 
hey, I, I love this church. I, I love the people that it's made up of. Um, I'll usually say that I'm, I'm so grateful to speak to you and I'm excited about the word I'm going to speak. Don't worry, I don't want to freak you out. I mean all of those things today. I love this church. I am unbelievably grateful for the opportunity to stand before you and speak the word of God this morning. Um, but I am additionally excited today because this isn't just a precursor to a different message. Today we're going to be talking about the church. And uh, can I just begin by saying something that maybe, I don't know, maybe we don't remind ourselves enough. But God loves the church. God loves his church. Full stop, period. He loves the church. When his son was dying a gruesome death on the cross, he was thinking about you. And he was thinking about me. He was thinking about his church. And uh, today we get to discuss his church and our responsibilities uh, to his church. And next Sunday will actually um, will mark one year since I came into church ministry and started working at Crossroads. And, uh, you know, I, I think back to that time a year ago. And I think about the way that I was feeling, right? And I remember being so excited. I was, I was pinching myself as I was realizing that I was going to get to spend every day in the church, serving the church. This was my favorite place to be. I also remember being horrifically nervous, but I had very little doubt that this was something that God was asking me to do. And so I stepped out. And uh, you know what? In, in this past year, as in any job, I have had my eyes open to things that I was naive about coming in. I've been disappointed about certain things, um, sometimes frustrated about conversations I've been a part of. There have been moments where maybe I've felt a little bit let down. But above all of that, can I tell you that now more than ever, I love the church. I love this church and I love the Capital C Church because I have witnessed what, uh, what happens when God's people unite together, when they support each other in prayer and practical needs. I have watched the Holy Spirit work through people in timely ways that no man could ever have orchestrated. I have been the first-hand beneficiary of other believers investing in me with their time and their prayer, again through their timely encouragement. I've seen what a group of united believers can do with Christ by their side. I love the church. God loves his church. He loves this church. He loves that church, the capital C church. Hey, uh, I don't want to be cheeky and skip ahead um, in our Ephesians study, but I want to just take a look at Ephesians 5, uh, where Paul is writing of healthy relationships, and he references Christ's love for his church. Starting in verse 25, he says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. And gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. And to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Christ sees the church as his bride. Christ loves the church and he loves the church so much that he would give his life for her sake. Um, this, this hits me a bit hard when Paul paints the church in this light, right? Um, what I'm about to say may surprise you. It might ruin the perfect image that you've got of me. But uh, uh, sometimes when I was a younger fella, I would talk back to my mother. I know. I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry. Um, if I can lodge some sort of defense for, for the kids today, I think we've all done this, right? But um, I, I was reading this study that mothers are usually the one person in a child's life that cop the most amount of abuse, right? Um, and, and this study believes that um, it stems from the fact that mothers are usually the person that the child feels most comfortable around and kids just feel so safe and comfortable around them that they, 
they let their guards down and they let out their raw, unfiltered emotions in front of them. And so, um, listen, mum, on behalf of mums, on all, behalf of all kids, we're very sorry for what we've put you through. But please know it's just because we love you so much. Um, but hey, hey as, as I say, like every kid, I would sometimes talk back to my mother, and if my dad was anywhere near earshot of this, uh, he would say something along the lines of this. Oi, don't you dare speak to my wife like that. Don't you dare speak to my wife like that. And uh, let me tell you, when I heard those words, it hit different, right? It hit different. When my dad changed the context of my mother just being my mum and talked about her as his wife, it realigned me to remember who I was talking to. Uh, this was the bride of my father. Christ loves the church, his bride, so much that he laid his life down for it. And in doing so, uh, we, a bunch of sinners with blemishes aplenty, are now able to have relationship with a good and perfect God. But when we receive this incredible gift and we become part of his church, we are told, Romans 12, 9, that our love must be sincere. We must hate what is evil and love what is good. Christ loves the church. He calls it good. And so I believe uh, we cannot love God and not then love his church, right? I don't believe that we can choose not to have respect for the church. Our passage today um, speaks of how we as members of the church should be behaving towards others in the church. Paul has written, be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bonds of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. And so there is not this church and that church, this flavor and that flavor. He didn't die for one denomination, one group over another. There is just his church. This isn't to beat up on those structures within the church. It's not to say that God doesn't love diversity of the church in the ways that we individually express our worship. He does. But it's saying that we are called to unity with our fellow believers, to be patient and understanding with all believers. And I wonder today if this is where we hit our snag. Perhaps this is the catching point today, because what I've said to this point is probably obvious, right? Of course God loves the church. And of course, we are supposed to love his church. But there was a reason Paul had, had to put pen to paper about unity in the church. And one would suggest that that's because there was some disunity in the church of Ephesus at the time. And when we think about it, I, I wonder that shouldn't be a massive surprise to us, should it? I think it's, it's interesting to look at the people that God has traditionally used to build his church in the Christian faith. We could start with Abraham, the, the father of our faith. Yet he was also a man who, who lacked enough faith to wait on God, and he, he, he slept with his wife's servant in the meantime. We could talk about Moses, the, the man God used to lead his people out of slavery, but it wasn't all that long after he'd just killed a man from a place of his own confusion and hurt. Rahab, we first met her as a prostitute, but then God used her as a part of his plan, and she became critical to God's people entering the promised land, and later was recorded as one of the women in the lineage of Jesus Christ himself. She was in the very family line of our Messiah. And then we get to the disciples. These are the people that Jesus handpicked as his starting point for the Christian movement. We had Matthew. He was a tax collector. Peter, a fisherman with a bit of a temper. Simon, a zealot of all things. 
And we watched these disciples constantly bickering between themselves, didn't we, as they were on the road with Jesus? Here's the point I'm trying to make. Christ has made a church that invites anyone and everyone to be a part of it. Praise God for that. The only barrier to entry is the accepting of Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. We learned last week that he wants everyone to know how wide and how long and how high and how deep the Father's love for his people are. But the reality of that, this side of heaven, that's probably bound to look a bit messy, right? You've got fishermen, a zealot, a, a tax collector. These are hardly a group of people you'd expect to find watching the rugby together on a Friday or a Saturday night. Paul himself, right? He, he, he's writing this letter to the Ephesians, and, but he'd previously been recorded to have come into sharp dispute with his missions partner um, Barnabas, causing them to part ways. And I'm sure that would have looked a bit messy. But in this text, Paul is calling us to unity, and I believe we have to take that seriously. As a church, we have to take that seriously. To love Jesus is to love his church. From my interpretation of Scripture, I, I don't believe these two things can be mutually exclusive. And I've heard rhetoric that says my faith is personal, personal to me, that church simply isn't for me. I've heard others say that they're not a church kind of person, too, there's too much hypocrisy. I don't think I want in on that. Sadly for others, I've heard that church has been hurtful. Church simply hasn't been a nice place to be. And let me start by saying that there is truth in the fact that within the church, there is hypocrisy. That in the church, as a result of this, there has been hurt that has occurred that is not justified and should not be justified. But I do not believe that we can allow this to lead us, uh, lead us away from the body of Christ and from working hard to maintain peace between believers. If I've learned anything in my faith journey this far, it's that the things we're called to do usually are simple. They're, they're usually simple. They're just not always that easy. And uh, unity in the church, it, it sounds on the face of it an easy task. Love thy neighbor as you love yourself has a nice ring to it. But today I, I want to speak to the reality of that, what that looks like, and, and how I believe God empowers us uh, to make this happen. John 17, uh, in John 17, Jesus prays a prayer over his disciples, and I believe that this prayer tells us clearly that unity in the church is not only important to God, uh, but it serves a great purpose. In John 17, Jesus prays saying, my prayer is not for them alone, I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. Skip ahead to verse 23. It says, I in them and you in me so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then, everybody say then. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Uh, if you're one of the people that have been coming along to the way training that we've been running here, you will know that we are talking about being everyday missionaries acting on the Great Commission to tell others of how long and how high, how wide and how deep the Father's love is. This is our purpose as Christians living on this earth. And this passage says that if we want to fulfill this effectively, we must ourselves be living in unity. We must want for others what we would want for ourselves. And saying if, if we want others to catch on to this gospel message, they are going to want to see what it looks like. I believe that the world it would easily grow tired of hearing the gospel. They really, they want to see it. This passage calls us to more, and it says, if we want to live effective lives as everyday missionaries building the church, we must be one 
body. Verse 16 of our passage today says, He makes the whole body fit together perfectly, as each part does its own special works. It helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. If we want to be effective in spreading the gospel, we have to work together. You know, many of you will know that I love to sing, and when I'm singing worship, it is truly one of the places that I feel closest to the Father, and I can um, sing by myself, and that is worship. How many of you know that sometimes we've just got to get into that secret place without distraction? But there are other times when, you know, my flatmate James, who is an incredible talent on the keys, uh, will start to use his gift in worship and then say, you know, we'll get somebody on a guitar and sing in some harmonies and um, get somebody on the drums. And the sound that is then lifted to heaven is a sound that I could never make on my own, right? It's the same in my ministry. I, I won't have the same giftings as the rest of the team or the people of this church, but it, it's when those giftings that God has so graciously given us, when they come together, God uses them in powerful ways. The church is not a building or a place to meet. It is a group of people, each with specific gifts and each filled with the Holy Spirit. And when that group gets together, God moves. And so there's nothing special about this building at 10 a.m. or 7 p.m. on a Sunday, but there's something incredibly powerful about different parts of the body coming together and each offering of what they have. And that's why I will forever be an advocate for the meeting of the church. God loves his church, and he wants to see his church united. And so how do, how do we make this happen? How do we make this a reality when, despite our newfound oneness in Christ, we remain many different people with unresolved brokenness, different experiences, different upbringings in the faith. And I'm I'm well aware that there will be people here today that have been the recipient of hurt within the church. I'm well aware that there may be people here today that have been through experiences within the church that have left you with a level of distrust towards the church. I want to be so careful to acknowledge that loving the church and championing the church is not to affirm those things. It is not to justify what you've had to experience. But to love the church is to posture ourselves before the Lord and offer him the hurt and ask him to rework it and do what only he can with it until he shows us the good that he can make of it. And so the first practical step that I want to touch on if we are to achieve unity within the church is a shifting of our posture. Um, Pastor Reuben last week, he touched on posture before the Lord. We practice together what it looks like to kneel before the Father in humility. I believe this has to be our starting point. Did you notice in our passage today that there was a shifting of posture uh, that was carefully noted? It said, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. And then it notes, what does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe It's valuable to remind ourselves that the ruler of the universe chose to shift his posture and condescended himself to our level in order to save us and in order to model to us what kneeling before the Father looked like. Jesus was constantly on his knees before his Father in heaven. He was constantly in prayer and petition. And Paul started our passage this morning with, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. Our calling is to follow the teachings of Jesus, to shift our posture and kneel before the one who is above all and in all and through all. And if, if we're not humbling ourselves before the Father, how will we 
ever achieve the humility required to keep peace between our brothers and sisters in Christ. Humility is the only way that as Christ followers we will achieve unity within an imperfect body. Because what humility prompts us to do is to offer to others what has been offered to us. It reminds us of our insufficiency, and not in a self-deprecating, unhealthy way, but in a way that says, I am enough, but only because Christ made me enough. I, I, I think it's so beautiful to know that we aren't perfect. Otherwise, I think we'd be, we'd be so stuck and too scared to do anything for the kingdom. We'd be worried about the burden of putting a single foot wrong, but we are made free by the grace of God and the gift of salvation through Jesus Christ. Know that. If you don't know that, I want to tell you about it. You are imperfect and yet loved. You have slipped up sometimes on a massive scale. Your sin and the sin of others has had you bound. And yet, if you are willing to accept it, there's a place for you in a perfect king's court. And so we need to know this grace on a level that enables us to exhibit that same grace to others. Uh, honestly, I, I reckon it starts with knowing the significance of what God has done for us. And I think in you know, our, our affirmational culture, it's easy to lose sight um, of our sinful nature because we're taught that it's justified, that, that it's excusable because of what we've been through or maybe because we had good intentions. And, and buying into this culture, I, I believe we're losing sight of the power of Christ at Calvary. And, and so in a weird way today, church, I want to remind us just how lost we were, just how broken and twisted we were, because it's that realization, I believe, that will have us fall into our knees and surrender. And it's that realization that will let us look at people who have who, sinned against us and be able to say the words, I forgive you. As I, was, as I was studying this week, I, I, I couldn't help but notice that forgiveness is the major undertone within the teaching that Paul has given on unity within the church. You know, way back when, when Eve took the fruit from the tree and sin entered this world, what occurred in that decision was separation. This was when disunity between the Father and his people came about, and ever since that time, God has been on a rescue mission to reinstate that unity, to reconcile with his people. And in order to do so, he sent his son. And what, is, what did his son offer to us? Forgiveness. He, he offered forgiveness. He said, the only way to reinstate unity and oneness is through grace, through a self-sacrificial act of forgiveness. And, and through this act, the church was formed. The beautiful expression of the kingdom on earth, the bride of Christ, the love of his life, the church was born. And so us as the church, we are called to be different. We are called to stand together to reflect the kingdom of God. But you see, we, we live in a world that wants to separate and segregate, that wants to divide through the use of labels and build up walls and, and say to you, you're not included or you're not welcome. We live in a world that tells you that you're not enough. In a world that promotes division as the pathway to freedom and says you are cancelled to those that slip up. But do you want to hear what Christ offers us? Do you want to hear what he, he, he wants for his church? He says this, he says, There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. 
And he says, from him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. We have all got a part to play in this. The enemy knows that a united church is a church that he can't fight. And so he is desperate to see us become divided. And so how do we stand up against this? What's our defense? We have to create unity the same way that Christ offered it to us, through forgiveness. As I say, I am so aware that there will be people here today who who may have been wronged by others. There may be people here who have been hurt and misused by systems set up within the church. There will be others who have possibly lost trust um, trust in, in, in the church. And I don't for a second want you to think that what you've been through is okay. I I won't pretend that the church is blameless. But what the church is built on and held together by is a forgiveness that each and every one of us was undeserving of. And the simple but not easy task that he asks of us is to offer to others that same forgiveness. I believe that, that forgiving those who don't deserve it and sometimes haven't asked for it has the power to give us so much freedom. Forgiveness was was given to us as a gift, and I believe it is an incredible gift to be able to extend it to others. And the thing about forgiveness is that it's not always fear. What we have been through might have not been fear, but it wasn't fear that Christ carried the weight of our sin on his shoulders, and he carried a cross up to Calvary. And full reconciliation might not always be possible on this side of eternity. There are some situations and some relationships that will always require boundaries, and and, and that is okay. But it's essential, I believe, that we learn to forgive. And forgiveness is the starting point to learning to love a church made up of many parts, all imperfect, but all loved by their creator. And so we need to adapt our posture humble ourselves, I believe this will bring us to forgiveness. And and finally, I believe we need to pray. Pastor Isaac spoke just a few weeks back on on praying for wisdom and understanding. That's been a message that has stuck with me for weeks after. We we can't forget that Jehovah Jireh, who provides for us, is ready and waiting to hear our requests. We need to um, pray for wisdom and understanding, and we need to pray for our church. We need to pray for that church. Jesus prayed for the church, and we can't forget the importance of our prayer. You know, I, I think prayer will always be something that falls off our to-do list until we realize that it changes things. I was, uh, I was talking to my mum the other day, and we were talking about, um, we we're just talking over the different things that God was doing in my life and the opportunities that I've been given, and, and mum reminded me that I'm standing on the shoulders of an army of praying people. She said that the transformation that has taken place in my heart and that she's witnessed is no coincidence. It's the result of faithful people who have lifted my life in prayer. Um, back in my home church when I was growing up, we had a prayer partner program where they would pair up an older person um, with a younger person to pray for each other. Um, and a lovely lady by the name of Lorna Matheson, who's now passed on, um, she was paired up with me, and my mum my was telling me that she took this role just so seriously, and she would uh, she'd call my mum every week to ask how, how she could pray for me and to see how I was going. And this didn't even stop when I left home for university, but she continued to pray. 
And, and as I look back at the challenges I've faced and the ways that God has brought me through them to this point, I have zero doubt that I am standing here today speaking from God's word because of people like Lorna Matheson who believed in the power of the church and she prayed for it. Just this morning, we, um, as a church, committed um, Cyrus and up in prayer and and, and, and I believe that we should take this seriously, this commitment to praying for our kids and our church seriously. You know, come along to Kingdom Night. It's on the 11th. Let's pray for our church together. We need to be praying for unity, for the humility that we might see our own lack, not to bring ourselves down, but to recognize what God has given to us. We need to pray that from this place of humility, God will give us the strength to offer others the forgiveness he gave to us. And then pray that he might take our hurt and take our pain and rework it as part of his good plan to build his church. I, uh, I just want to wrap up by, by telling one last story, and so I'd invite the music team to, to come up. Um, most of my family live down in Christchurch, and uh, while I try and get down... Um, to see them as much as I can. There is often a bit of time um, that passes between visits. And I have this beautiful wee three-year-old niece who I just love to bits. But, um, of course, you know that kids uh, at this age, right, they aren't the biggest fan of unfamiliar faces. They'll usually take a little bit of time to warm up to you until they are assured that you deserve their trust. Fair enough. And, of course, with me not being down in Christchurch all that often, any amount of time between visits... um, you know, like, she'll often have forgotten who I was, um, fair enough as well, but um, this time I went down, and, and it hadn't been long between visits, and I guess she's getting a bit older now, and, and this time she remembered me, which was awesome, and she'd just been gifted her um, first proper bike for her birthday, and she was so excited about it, and, uh, and it had all the bells and whistles, and I was stoked that she came and asked me if I could help her to ride it, um, and, and so I did, and it was going really, really well. And uh, so we went and we were going to, to pick up my younger siblings from, from school and she came on her bike and, and she was going so well and she was just loving life. And because she was doing so well, I thought, oh, this, is, this is great. Um, she must be ready for the next step. And uh, so I call out to her and say, hey, hey, why don't you try turning the bike and go around the corner? This highlights to me why I, I probably wouldn't be a very good teacher. Um, but, um, of course, turning the bike to her just meant a very sharp uh, sharp turn, and, and, and the poor girl, her, her new bike comes tumbling down on top of her as she loses balance, and she's absolutely fine, so don't be too worried. Um, <laughs> um, but, of course, she got a bit of a fright, and she went running to the arms of her grandma, who was with us, and just like that, all of the trust I'd finally built up with my niece was just obliterated. <laughs> She didn't want a bar of me. Um, fair enough. But after her grandma had given her a good hug and dusted off her knees, uh, she told my niece that it was time that she gets back on her bike uh, and let Uncle Jake help her again. And hesitant as she was, uh, she does, and she rides her bike all the way home. Long-winded story, I know. Um, but here's what I want us to take from it, right? We've got to realize that much like I am not the perfect kid's bike instructor, The church is not without its flaws. And maybe for some of us, there have been times where our trust has been eroded and our confidence has been bruised. And I believe these are the times that we need to run into the arms of the Heavenly Father, the one that we can have complete trust in. 
the one who we've seen take us through so much already. These are the times we need to get ourselves in that secret place and get with the Father. But I also believe that once we've run to the Father, that because of his love for his church, he will ask us to step back out. And through his strength and his encouragement, he'll ask that we learn to pick up our tool, to pick our tools back up and continue to build his church because he loves his church. And his church isn't complete yet. One day it will be. But right now he's looking for laborers that are committed to building his house, who have the humility to kneel before him, offer him what's broken and ask him to rework it. He's looking for those who are willing to forgive and those who have the faith to pray for better and for expansion. Are we willing to pick up tools and get building the church together? I love the church because it was the church that nurtured my faith and taught me how to weather a storm. I love the church because it's provided me with community that have encouraged me and championed me. I love the church because I've seen how it's cared for those in need and those who are without. I love the church because I've seen how it's taken people from rock bottom and shown them what purpose and meaning could look like. I love the church because when it gathers, I've seen the Holy Spirit move in a room and, and become the only thing that matters. I know the church doesn't always get it right. I know it's incomplete, but I know God loves the church. And so for this reason, I humble myself before the King. For this reason, I'll choose to forgive. For this reason, I'll pray for the church. Thanks for listening to the Crossroads Church Podcast. If you'd like any more information on our church, how to give, or maybe after today's message you'd like to talk to someone, you can find out everything you need to know on our website, which is crossroads.co.nz. Make sure you click subscribe on this podcast so you don't miss out on new content. Thanks for stopping by.